In an age where Apple's market cap hit a trillion dollars, and where relatively young startups have a billion dollar in valuation during ludicrous funding rounds, what does it take to hit a home run with your business? Where's the bar set? Does $100 million get you there? Would $20 million pass muster? Is a $10 million business significant? Certainly, a $1 million business must be a failure, right? Wrong. On today's episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast, we're going to talk about why it isn't always all about the Benjamins, but more about how the business achieves the goals of the founder that makes it a win or not. Here we go. Hey, Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, back for another session on the Startup Therapy Podcast. I'm here with my partner, Will Schroeder, who's seen the life-changing impacts at various levels of financial success across nine companies in 25 years, including an agency that eventually scaled to multi-billion dollar revenue and driving Startups.com to a $100 million valuation in six years. Will, before we help our friends recalibrate what startup success means, let's talk about how you got to pondering this question in the first place. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I saw a lot of founders who were super engaged in their business and they had a million dollar business and they were they were killing it. But then all of a sudden, particularly around the time I started to raise capital for my first business, this is over 10 years ago, in talking to a lot of investors and VCs, I all of a sudden heard a very different narrative whereby the investors and the VCs said something that really just ground on me so much. They said, oh, that's a lifestyle business. And it was this really eerie way to take a successful potential business and say, oh, that's not important. That's not a big IPO laden outcome type business. And so, you know, that's cute, but not interesting. And yeah, that's not going to build my lifestyle. It'll exactly. build your lifestyle. I mean, there's there some important caveats in what they were saying. They, they weren't saying it's not an important business to you. They were saying it's not an important business to me, right? They were saying, as an investor, I can't make money off you, ergo, your business uh, isn't important. It's not significant. It's just what they called a lifestyle business, which I, I have to point this out. The fact that a VC whose own company tends to make ones of millions of dollars per year, calling somebody else's business <laughs> a lifestyle business because it makes a few million dollars a year just blew, blew my mind. But whatever. Hypocrisy is one of my favorite flavors <laughs> of ice cream. No, right? All of a sudden, I started to really put my ear to the ground among founders. And this is, again, about 10 years ago. And I started to kind of notice this narrative where founders would talk about new ideas that they had. And all of a sudden, I heard other founders say, oh, well, yeah, that's probably just going to be a lifestyle business. And I'm, and I'm <laughs> right. thinking to myself, wait a minute, this business that's going to make a few million dollars isn't important all of a sudden? I was like, I know an awful lot of people who only make a few million dollars in their business and they're living amazingly well, right? Incidentally, I also know a lot of people who have raised a ton of money and have nothing to show for, right? right. <laughs> they're right. totally broke. And so... I really started to rage against the machine on this one. You know, I really started to get frustrated that this narrative was starting to become more and more pervasive, that a million dollar business is more of a bunt and not a home run. So I put this article together because I really wanted to start to unpack that a bit because it's a bullshit argument, right? And I think it's dangerous for founders to start to go down this path. It's one more chance for people to use the wrong measuring stick to evaluate their own success. And there's no shortage of these things that exist out there, including other founders stories and, and using you know these massive publicly traded companies as the measuring stick for your own success. Um, and I think this is another dangerous one. 
particularly when it starts to get involved at the idea stage. You know, if you're talking about founders having discussions about ideas, you know, whether this thing is a lifestyle business or a billion dollar exit, pretty hard to tell at that point in most cases. Or wait, hang on. Did any of those folks bring a crystal ball with them? (laughs) Right, right, right. I think it's, it's, it's at a point now where, to your point, people are writing off businesses before they've even had a chance to flourish or which I think is, is much worse, making this notion that if the business, you know, can't become millions of dollars, if it's only a million dollar business, that you're not going to be okay. Right. I'm like, oh, sure. I don't know. You know, there's, there's a concept that a million dollar business isn't very big. And, and my right. question would be to whom? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are people who are going to say that, right. And like, well, you know, a million dollars just really isn't that much. Really. By the time you back out expenses and whatever, blah, 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 like 25% left. Yeah. You've got a quarter million dollars worth of income. Exactly. And, and for most I, people that works out. Okay. I really, I want to stick on that point if you would, just for just a second. And we're in no position to tell people what a lot of money is to them. Right. I mean, that your mileage may vary and your decisions are your own. Sure. However, it's all relative. Let's just use some stats, right? If you could put together a million dollar business that could yield, say, a 25% margin, you're talking about about $250,000 a year worth of income. Now, you may have to split that, but let's just for easy math, assume you didn't. And that's all your income. In most states, that'll put you in the top 5% of income earners, right? Oh, yeah. Drop California and New York from that, and you're probably in the top 1%. It's it's insane, right? I actually did look up the numbers, so, so this isn't me just guessing. But play that out for a second. To put yourself in the top 5%, think of how many other career paths you'd have to go down in the shit you'd have to endure to get to the top 5%, right? Well, let's see. I could be a doctor twice. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, there's so many other paths that are so much harder to get to that income level. And, and, and I have to point this out because we spend so much time you know, in technology, which is, which is often a young person's game. If you can get to that level before you're 30, how is that not an absolute home run? I mean, play that out because I I think we lose calibration inside of this, Ryan. I think the moment we we forget how much money $250,000 is, we start to lose our shit a little bit. You know what I mean? Totally agree. Let's talk about it a bit. Let's talk about what does that buy you? Right. What sure. what would that afford you? Um, the thing that you talk about in the in the article is the value of independence. Yeah. And, you know, at what level of income do you achieve some independence? And I would argue that it's not just about the income that delivers that independence. It's also about working on something that you enjoy with people that you enjoy. Let's stay focused on 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 the money for a minute since that's where we're at. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about the value of independence and where that comes from within the financial realm of startups. Yeah. And so we've got, we've got two layers of independence, right? We've got our personal independence whereby we're making enough money to do the things that we want to do. And then we've got our business independence whereby we can wake up in the morning and say, I'm just going to work on what I want to work on to the extent that I can, right? We all have our own parameters and restrictions for this, the latter there for the side of the business. That's really about making your own decisions and waking up in the morning and doing what you want to do. For example, if you say, Hey, I think the whole company should take the day off today or work from home today. You can do that. That is so powerful. We see that all the time in our own business and the decisions we get to make. I've got to imagine like for you, Ryan, like that's a huge issue, right? 
It is. Of course it is. You know, it, and, and it's something that I think over time you realize exactly how important that is. And it's something that I do try to impart to young startups or first time founders that I talk to. There's a lot of them that are saying, yeah, but I just I just can't see how I'm going to get to more than fifty thousand dollars in this first year. And then I'll ask him, well, how much are you making now? Like, well, I, you know, it's uh, 45 after taxes. I'm like, okay. So like, <laughs> in addition to the fact that you're going to have this independence around decision-making and how you spend your time and working on something you truly care about, you're going to make the same amount of money. To me, like that's, you're clearing the fence. You may not Absolutely. have hit the moon yet, but you're clearing the fence. And I think that there's so much value in that. And, and it's often, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, Will, but when you, you talk to founders where they hit these points and what may seem like relatively insignificant milestones, particularly around finance, really unlock something for them as they cross these little micro milestones that become the energy and power that help to propel them to higher levels. And again, we're saying like, once you get to a million, you're, you're already done a hell of a lot at that point. But it, it even starts well before that, right? Replacing your own income. How many founders do we talk to who are just like, should I quit my job yet? Right. That may seem like that kind of thing where like it's this huge trade off because it is right at the point where you have now built something significant enough to replace your own income. That's a big damn deal. Absolutely. And you control that outcome. Right. You exactly. can't get fired. Right. Right. <laughs> and not a small thing. Right. <laughs> I've and, thought and, about firing myself on more than one occasion. But, uh, <laughs> I've never, never followed through on it. But 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 I mean, if we play that out, if we think about all of the things that independence buys you, ironically, it's a lot of the things that you want money to buy you, right? You want to be able to wake up in the morning and own your day. You want to be able to wake up in the morning and say, this is the culture that I want to walk into, right? This is the kind of company that I want to I want to run or be a part of or have the integrity behind, right? You're no longer subject to somebody else's whims. And I think that's invaluable. Anybody that's ever had a boss can appreciate how invaluable that is. And so if we look at, you know, that, that first milestone in a business saying, make a million dollars, $2 million, whatever, as the only value to that is the financial value, say that $250,000 a year or whatever it may be. I think that's wildly oversimplifying the value that you're getting when you get to a self-sustaining business. And I think your independence in some cases might be worth more than the actual cash. Oh, I, I think it is. I mean, at the end of the day, the cash is just a placeholder for value that you want to exchange somewhere else, right? It right. doesn't have any inherent value. It's what I can trade this money for, what it buys me in terms of time or access or, or whatever else you want to trade it for. And so I think you make a great point there in that it isn't just about the money. The other thing that I think is really interesting about it is if you were to look at, you know, just hold the earnings steady and say like, you know, you're at 250,000 in a corporate job versus 250,000 as a founder, you aren't able to buy yourself as much freedom because you, you only can trade your cash for those things at that point. Your time is somebody else's. Your, the culture of the company is somebody else's. So all of those intangibles that you talked about at the same level of income aren't possible, which is a great way of saying and proving it isn't the money that gets you those things. Absolutely. And you know what? For a lot of people, uh, it's not like starting a company buys you tons of extra time. So, you know, I won't pretend for a second that it's the path of least resistance as far as trying to free up more time in your life. But it does give you a little bit of a choice in how to spend your time. For yeah. example, you know, we put in a program a long time ago at startups.com where we allowed everybody to work at home on Wednesdays, right? So every Wednesday uh, of every month, the whole company works from home. 
And you know what happens is all of a sudden people start to see their kids again. They're still working, right? They're still doing their stuff. But, you know, they, see, they get to see their kids, uh, you know, leave in the morning and come home at night or they get to see their spouse or they get to see their friends, you know, heaven forbid. They get to have a beer for lunch, you know, and, and, and not think much about it, right? Like all of a sudden, I think when you get your independence, when you can free things up, you can mold the world to be what you want it to be. And if you were to take that away from someone and say, I'll pay you more, but you have to go back to a world where none of these things exist anymore. Any entrepreneur worth their salt would say, fuck you. Right. Yeah. Like that's there's no it's way I'm not the trade that I want. Right. These are not the things that I value. I especially if I don't have time to spend it, what am I going to do with it? Right. And yeah, again, like when you spend your time doing something that you really enjoy, you don't consider that a trade for the money. Right. Right. And, and, and look, sometimes people get paid extraordinarily well to do the stuff they hate and they kind of make a life out of it uh, altogether. In all fairness, among startups, we often do what we love and get paid peanuts. If, 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 if nothing, then going in debt for it. And we still sort of want to do it. We kind of wish we got paid more while we're yeah. doing it, but we're still into it. I think that for, for most founders getting into this game, while the money's important, you know, to be able to get to that million dollars or, or whatever that milestone is, building your own thing is what's more important. And again, when we kind of map back to this narrative that it's not big, it's a lifestyle business, ergo, it's not important. I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know about that. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't think you're looking at the whole picture, because if you're going to tell me I could make the same, maybe a little bit more working at a job where I have no control and the future is told by someone else. I just don't see how any founder would find that to be a step up. And therefore, yeah. that's a huge part of the real value. Yeah, it's it's a huge part of the reason they became founders in the first place. They said, hey, exactly. I could go do this. How many times do you hear the story? It's like, well, I was doing this thing at a company and I realized not only there's a, a better way to do it, but I could be doing it for myself and making the same amount of money and not putting up with Jeff or whatever Jeff's name is at the company that they work at. Right. There's always some version of him. And it's a very common origin story for companies. And they say, like, you know, look, uh, the benefits weren't as good in the beginning. I made a little less money. Uh, but damn, did I enjoy what I was doing? And I never thought of it as work, right? You know, I, I at the beginning of a startup, we all subscribe to that. Uh, it's sort of the the opposite of that book that Tim Ferriss wrote. Um, it's the four hour work hour, right? Which is that you're, you're <laughs> cramming in as much as you can into every bit of it. And you tend not to notice. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so what's interesting about the milestone, though, if, Ryan, if we're talking to like, you know, the, the million dollar milestone example versus this has to be a big business, it's not a billion dollar business. Funny thing about that, right? Every billion dollar business was a million dollar business at some point, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. They all passed that milestone, right? The, the problem is in the formative stages, and I'm sure a lot of the folks listening to this are, are there right now, they start to think about, well, again, is this business going to be big enough? Do I need to raise money, et cetera? They're constantly taking everything through this filter of it has to be bigger, it has to be giant. Does it? Or said differently, does it have to be giant right out of the gates? Can it start off as a small business, operate as a small business for a while, and then when the time is right, maybe ramp up, right? Yeah. I, I don't subscribe to this all or nothing mentality that if you, if you don't make it a, a giant business immediately, it's insignificant in some way. I just haven't met many founders who have built a business making a million dollars, $2 million, et cetera, a profitable one, of course, and are saying to themselves, this is horrible. I really want out of this. <laughs> I just, I just don't. And, and, and I think the narrative is, is broken in that capacity that, that the, the top line definitively tells you whether a business or the entrepreneur for that matter has value. 
in the same way that you talked about the the income being relative, right? And it's it's about the decisions that you make. It's about what you do with it. The scale of the business is the same way. Success is relative uh, really to how you feel about it. And again, back to what are the objectives of the founder, right? If your objective is only to make a billion dollars, first, I'd say like it's a kind of a weird objective. <laughs> yeah, you, it is. Yep. You know how you're going to spend it. Um, Actually, Ren, but, Ren, stick, stick with that for yeah. a second, if you will, uh, um, if you will, and uh, um, the the million dollars, do you know how you're going to spend it, et cetera? Because I think folks that are, especially early in their career, don't have a good calibration for how much a million dollars really is. It's, it, it, it's it, absolutely true. We've, it's we, I remember you and I sitting with a group of, I believe it was one of our intern classes. And so we're talking about you know kids who are anywhere between probably 19 and 22, 23, um, still in university, most of them. And we were talking about this and and about the fact that, you know, you know, if you can do something within your company that puts two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in your bank account, how impactful that is, how many things that changes for you. The idea that life changing money is somewhere like a million dollars, ten million dollars, hundred million dollars. Uh, the reality is life changes every time you get more money than you have now. Yes, significantly. And I, and I think there's it's worth mentioning that there's a few fairly important milestones that people hit. For example, and your mileage may vary in different parts of the country or the world, so bear with me on US dollars, et cetera. But the first $250,000 you make, in other words, if you were to work at a company and somehow get a $250,000 check, I would argue would be the most important money you'll have ever made in your entire life, right? Yep. Because most of our life is spent initially making shitty money in our 20s and mostly into our 30s. We start to make some decent money into our 30s, into our 40s, and then start to actually have some savings because we haven't we've done, been doing nothing but spending in our 50s and beyond. With that said, if you had $250,000 dropped into your account right now and you're 27 years old, you've probably just dropped in the equivalent of 10 to 15 years of net savings. Right. People yeah. don't think about that. They're like, well, no, I'll make a lot more money later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you'll make and a lot more money. If you're saving. If right? you're you saving. The vast majority of, of the population, unfortunately, the savings rate is is peanuts. What you're really talking about is I think we're at like two and a half to three percent savings rate, meaning that it would be a hell of a lot more than that for most people on income. Uh, well, so, yeah, well, you're, you're absolutely right. Well, people don't understand it. And I'll use myself as an example. Uh, when I was young, when I was 22, I made my first bit of cash and in that year, I remember I bought a house, a couple cars, all my furniture, etc. And this amazing thing happened. I was I was totally broke in my life before that, so I didn't have any concept for money. But I remember being in my house and I was looking at my little spreadsheet or whatever of the other things that I still needed to buy. And the crazy thing, it wasn't that much, right? Like like house check, right? Uh, living room furniture check, car check. And I was like, well, shit. Now that I've got all those things, where else would I be spending my money? And, yeah. and I realized, and I guess a very young age at 22, but I realized that at that moment, that all of the income that I would make next year would all of a sudden become net income because otherwise it would have all been eaten up by all of these purchases, the down payment on a car, down payment on a house, furniture for the house, curtains or what the hell ever, right? Like it was all going to get eaten up over the next 15 years of my career on every dollar of my income. And I haven't even factored in kids or, you know, or buying a bigger house for kids, et cetera. And I realized that that first 250K that I spent was by far the most impactful money I'd ever made, especially if you get it at a young age in, 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 in a very quick timeline. 
let's also not take it as a foregone conclusion that it's just really easy to get to the the million dollar mark or the two fifty thousand dollar mark, right? So so let's talk about like how do we get there and how do we get there as fast as we can, given that this is a really important milestone. How do we get there? Well, it's important to say like how we get there and what are the milestones to get there, but also, you know, what could prevent us from getting there, right? So for example, if all we're thinking is this has to be a billion dollars in every single decision we make from how we raise capital to how we staff up to how we scale is only based on this one outcome, well, then (laughs) we're specifically limiting the probability that that we're going to get to even the first, uh, on the first base essentially, right? I just pictured a really late model car with like the, the the hubcaps half off and the paint faded with a bumper sticker that said billion dollar or bust. Right? Right. <laughs> I'm actually exactly. like, because when you start to make decisions that just point you in a particular direction uh, without any flexibility, without any sh- thought for the short term, your likelihood of getting there is so much less. So yeah, I'm, well, yeah, I'm being on look, the lookout man, for that car. When you start calibrating to improbable outcomes, you have to be okay with the fact that you're reducing your chances of success. For example, in the U.S., there's about 6 million businesses per year that get started. In, in look, that, that number is wildly inflated. I just want to be clear. Like some of those are just people filing LLCs. Yes. However, what number isn't inflated is that there's about 160 IPOs per year, right? And that's even yeah. in, in, in good times right now, right? If what you're trying to calibrate toward is that level of success, that kind of outcome, that is such a freakishly small percent that, that you're trying to calibrate for that you're really saying to yourself, I'm willing to forgo all of the potential wins in between because I only have to have the home run, which is cool. Home runs are fun, right? However, you're also saying I have to hit this huge milestone, thereby the easier to achieve milestone is no longer on the table. For example, when you raise money and let's say you, you and I raise $10 million, Ryan, uh, we can't just finish this off as a million dollar business throwing off $250,000 a year. Like we'll never see that money. We're forever indebted to the people that, that we raised from. Once you go down that path, which there's a time and a place for, once you go down that path of raising money, you definitely change the potential outcome. Yeah. And the achievability, right? And then, and then not just that, but the achievement of all the past milestones may matter a lot less at that point. Uh, yeah, they're, absolutely. Their validity just goes away. Absolutely. And so- you know, in 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 the uh, early '90s, I had started an, an ad agency that was one of the first interactive agencies. And early on, I just wanted to make a hundred dollars. Right? <laughs> I had no big ambitions. My ambitions were very, very, very small. If I if I'm not mistaken, um, and and I know I did something very, very similar uh, with a cafe that we traded off for. But uh, didn't you get paid in ribs at one point? I literally did a website once to, uh, for, for Damon's in Columbus, Ohio, uh, and they couldn't afford it. And so uh, I traded them for a $500 meal of ribs. And let me tell you, those are the most delicious ribs yeah. I ever had. I thought I was being overpaid at the time. So, so you nailed it. My ambitions were extraordinarily low. But get this, that was actually the most useful to me. Because every single time we had another client win, every single time we had another engagement that that just did anything to move us up and to the right, I was so excited. Now, now imagine for a second that that wasn't my my thought process, right? Imagine for a second my thought process was like, dude, I don't care about like another $10. If it's not another million dollars, I'm not interested, right? Right. Now, in all fairness, like that business, I mean, it's changed hands so many times by now, but it's like a $4 billion company now, right? But, but 
it started one dollar at a time right it started so by one rib at a time you bet you bet man like all those all those tiny milestones and what we did is we calibrated our expectations for what the business could be or what we deserve to get out of it one milestone at a time you know we didn't just say has to be billions of dollars and frankly we couldn't have there's there's no version where you go from selling ribs one day to business is worth billions of dollars and you've got a nobody's got that many ribs that's ridiculous (laughs) and so what we found was really important was setting milestones that were very very achievable getting past them going on to the next one right so for example even when we started startups.com right uh, you and i we sat down in in our our pro forma income statement we're doing our projections was saying let's make ten thousand dollars of income this month right yes we wanted to build a bigger company, but we were really good at calibrating our expectations so that we could take one step at a time versus just saying, well, if, if it's not worth $100 million, we're not going to bother. And it's like, oh, that's great. And feel good about it along the way, right? Great we point. didn't have to feel like we were falling short because we were setting achievable milestones. We were hitting them. We were using that as more ether in the carburetor to fire us up and keep us going and hit the next one. Right. And and what we kept saying, and I think this is valuable to a lot of founders is, look, if we can get, we can go from 10,000 a month in revenue to 20,000 a month in revenue, then maybe we can get to 30 or 40. But let's focus on getting there first and see what we learn, right? At no point did we think, well, if this only turns out to be a million dollar business, we're not interested. We just said, look, if it's, if if we get to a million dollars, great, then let's figure out where to grow it from there. I think yeah, there's this it doesn't concept. have to stop there, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that, that, it's a million dollar business, and yeah, it, yeah, okay. It, yeah, it used I, to be a, a hundred dollar business, so <laughs> right. it can continue to change. I, I, I never quite understood this this concept where, hey, that doesn't sound like a big business, thereby it can never be a bigger business, right? I mean, there's there's no version with with say startups.com where as we're building it we can't say well what if we extend the product or, or what if we uh, had a, a larger reach in our in our our, yeah. our sales efforts you know global etc how it always happens right like it's <laughs> you start a hamburger joint and you're like well this thing can't make more than $150,000 it's a $150,000 business can't take any further than that what if you had two yeah. oh shit yeah that's 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 a good point you know like if there's they all businesses go through these things right you're going to hit certain types of plateaus um, you're going to hit certain thresholds where things may change and your tactics for getting to that next level may have to change. Like to your point, at some level, we may tap out a U.S. market and say like, OK, how do we attack Latin America? Not right. literally attack it. How do we <laughs> how do we start to become viable as a business in Latin America? Let me rephrase that for all my Latin American friends. <laughs> We're not coming to attack. <laughs> but and so, so I, I think that's that that's the crux of it, right? At some point, that's going to happen. At many points, that's going to happen in your business. And so it's not a matter of like, well, it, it either stops here um, and stays a million dollar business or or nothing else happens. There are plenty of ways to change that outcome. Well, in two facets of that, one is, look, when when we're planning the business, we literally can't plan whether it's going to be more than a million dollar business. We can predict, we can torture our spreadsheets, we can do all the things that we want to do to convince ourselves that it's a bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. But as any venture funded portfolio will tell you, most of them aren't aren't that bigger opportunity. They're funded well, usually with the wrong idea. about it as well. Correct, right? Statistically, you're you're probably going to be wrong. But the second part of that is, even if you are sort of right, that that doesn't consign your fate. Right. It doesn't mean that the moment that you've determined in your pro forma that it's only a million dollar business that you just throw your hands up and everybody goes home. Right. Yeah, it's, right. It's, CFO said it's a million dollar business. I, I guess we're all done here. That's absurd. Right. 
I can take almost any business model uh, as a CFO myself and show you a pro forma that makes it, you know, a hundred million or a billion dollar company, right? It's, it's absurd, but almost anybody can do it. That doesn't make it a hundred million or a billion dollar company, right? More importantly, you don't really know whether that path, that bigger path is even available to you until you actually get to a million dollar company. You have to prove it out first before you just determine its fate. And I, it pisses me off when I see particularly investors uh, do this, where they just write businesses off immediately. Now, part of their job is to do that. So in, in all fairness, uh, I'm not saying for a second that they shouldn't go through that thought process. I'm saying when they tell the founder definitively, as if it's this, this oracle of knowledge, your business won't be any bigger or won't be successful. That's just bullshit. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't even really be a problem if they did that, if the founders didn't take it to heart most yes. of the time. Yeah. And that's what how often do we that? Well, you know, I had this idea, but, you know, the, I, I sat down with, you know, my my uncle's uh, attorney who, you know, he does a bunch of startup investing right? he owns three laundromats. And, you know, he told me this this isn't going to be more than a lifestyle business back to that disgusting term. Um, aren't all businesses lifestyle businesses? Isn't that why we're doing <laughs> Hopefully, this? Hopefully, yeah. I've, I've seen plenty of uh, founders with million dollar lifestyle businesses and they have some pretty friggin' amazing lifestyles. Uh, like I just, uh, I scratch my head and, and I, again, it really bothers me when people start to kind of uh, look at things in, in such a, a narrow focus. What this comes down to, the practical outcome for, for founders is this cost of miscalibration as I would call it, right? This cost that if you're thinking this has to be bigger no matter what, and you don't have a reason why that, that you have to make that much more money, or you don't have a reason why the business actually does have to be any bigger, all of a sudden you're making a bunch of assumptions and major decisions based on some pretty flawed logic. Yeah, for sure. Because you don't really have any concept of, of why it needs to be that way, right? It's sort of arbitrary that you're saying, well, you know, this needs to be, you know, if, it, it's, it, it tends to map back to the, well, if we get this percentage of the market and if we sell for right, and you end up with these really arbitrary round, large numbers that aren't actually attached to any specific outcome that the founder is trying to achieve. And I Absolutely. think it's super dangerous. That becomes your North Star. You'll chase it everywhere without having any ideas to whether you're going the right direction or not. Yeah. If, if, if your answer is, I have to make a hundred million on an exit or a billion dollars on an exit or whatever your big number is, but you can't then answer the question of what specifically are you going to do with that money when you get it? And why is that the minimum amount of money you need in order to achieve whatever those goals are? Then you're miscalibrated, right? Yeah. If you're saying, unless you I, owe the Sicilian mafia, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, dude, it's gotta be a hundred million or this yeah, shit ends. Very specific yeah. outcome. No, but look, look, if you're saying, Hey, it's gotta be a hundred million dollar exit. I need to take at least 30 million off the table after investor dollars and, and whatever else. Do you have you ever made $30 million? Have you ever run a spreadsheet to find out exactly how far that money takes you? Um, yeah. and, and maybe you did. not going to cut it. Listen, man, maybe you did. Need. Right. Right. Or maybe maybe you made the, the argument that, hey, I need at least X million dollars because with investments and interests, I don't want to work for the rest of my life. Really? Dude, you're 27 never, years old. never works yeah. out either. Yeah, right? like, like that, that, that lasts for about six weeks. And you're like, somebody give me a job. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on being the most bored, miserable person in the world, right? <laughs> right. Like, and, and so, but people don't think through these things. So, so they create this miscalibrated goal where they're saying I, it has to be this amount um, in no less. Well, listen, the moment you say, and no less, the moment you say it has to be at least this threshold, you start taking out a lot of other options that might have been the more likely and maybe better outcome, 
for yeah. what your business was going to be. To your point, you know, the we both know a lot of people who are at like this kind of million, let's say a million to five million dollar business, and they have amazing lifestyles. We both know plenty of people who have raised tons of money, had big exits and are still miserable. And I'm not saying that those two things are causal. I'm just saying that it isn't a foregone conclusion that if I'm happy at this level of the business, if I double it, triple it, 10 X it, I'll be 10 X happier. In fact, quite often we see the opposite, sadly. Yeah. And, and what I want people to look at, and, and you and I've talked about this a lot, is what is the fastest, most achievable path and what idea that might that be part of that can get me to my minimum goals, right? So yep. for example, what is the fastest path to get me to $8,000 a month of net income, which is a lot of money. Again, you know, I, I live in Los Angeles and I can still say it's a lot of money. It doesn't go as far here, but I'm just telling you in general, um, that's a lot of money, right? Especially if you don't have it. And so, so what is the minimum amount of effort, timeline, et cetera, that I need to, to exert in order to get to that milestone? Now, once I'm there, you know, my visions can get bigger. I can say, well, how do I get to, to 20,000 a month, et cetera. But what I love to see in a scrappy entrepreneur's plan is right now, my, the most important thing in the world to me is getting to $10,000 a month. I can show you a pro forma that gets me to $100 million. Doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Right now, I just want to get to this critical milestone. And when I start really dialing in those milestones and I start to say, look, man, if we can get this business to $40,000 a month gross, we can take $17,000 a month net in take home pay. That will be life changing for us. We're buying houses at this, this point. We're having all the independence in the world. We're doing all the things we've ever wanted to do. That's a smart plan. And look, at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is building something of value. The size right. of the value right. is a bit irrelevant, particularly at the early stage. Again, that value can grow over time, but the core of it is we want to build something of value. And let's just stick with that million dollar concept. At a million dollars, what does that allow us to achieve? You know, can we hit those critical goals? Can we find that path to get there? And and is that a home run based on that outcome relative to those goals? Yeah. And and look, if if your goals are different, if your mileage is different, if you're saying, look, I, I have done the math and I need exactly $30 million. And, and that's a very specific goal. You wouldn't be willing to live with anything less Then that's your number, right? And, and then you should build and make every decision based on that. What I don't want to hear entrepreneurs say or do is some external source, typically an investor, maybe the media says a million dollar business or my $5 million business isn't going to be big enough. And therefore somehow my personal goals aren't relatable here. Right. Look, man, if your if your personal goal is to make twenty thousand dollars a month, there's much faster ways to make twenty thousand dollars a month than raising a hundred million dollars in capital and <laughs> right? for an IPO. That's maybe the yeah. dumbest way to get to your goal. So uh, what I would suggest here is let's start with what your goals are. Most of them are far more modest than people realize when they're forced to actually write them out. Then let's look what's the shortest, fastest, most achievable way to get to that goal. And lo and behold, if we ever get to that goal, Ryan, I know you and I hope everybody does, right? And the goal here is to make sure you get there. Then figure out where you want to take the business. If you can get to a million dollars and then determine that this is how to get it to a billion dollars, cool. You already won on the shortest and fastest possible path to get to your near-term goals. Then figure out what the bigger goals are. Because in that case, you're already on base. 
That's exactly it. You know, I, I think I said this or something similar earlier in, in this episode, but aim for the moon, but clear the fence. And this is something my <laughs> dad cool. said. I don't know who said it first. I heard it from my dad. Aim for the moon, clear the fence, right? If you're not sure on what clearing that fence looks like, the likelihood that you're going to trip over it on your way to the moon, pretty damn high, right? And and I think a lot of people will find that it's really satisfactory to simply clear the fence. As you said, it's still going to be life-changing. Absolutely. Right? And uh, <laughs> I, I love what you said in the article, which is that the only people who think a million dollars isn't a lot of money are people who don't yet have a million dollars. I've seen that firsthand. I've, people say all the time, they're saying, hey, boy, well, that doesn't sound like a lot of money. It's like, have you made that much money? <laughs> like, well, no, you know, but it doesn't sound like a lot. Like, put a million dollars in anybody's account and it's going to sound like a lot of money. And frankly, it's going to change their entire lives. So I think it's important for people to come, to come down to earth a little bit. At this point, you know, we're talking about creating value. We're talking about finding a milestone that makes sense to you and focusing on the value to you, not everybody else. that's going to do it for this episode of the startup therapy podcast but in the meantime if you love what we're doing head over to itunes and subscribe and comment if you want to contact us directly we're not hard to reach email us at therapy at startups.com will and i respond to every email that comes in please don't be shy what we learned today is a tiny fraction of the help that you can get from startups.com whether you need to learn how a startup gets built to find a mentor or raise capital to find new customers, or if you just need to connect with founders who are dealing with the same shit you are, you'll find it on startups.com. With all that said, let's get back to building our startups. This is Ryan Rutan for my partner, Will Schroeder, and the entire startups.com community saying goodbye for now, friends. Startups.com.